Okay, uh, we are in uh, Lesson 4, Titus, covering Chapter 1, uh, verses 10 through 12. And there, if you don't have, I think there's probably uh, handouts right over there uh, of the questions uh, um, for the class. We've We've gotten down to, we finished, I think, uh, question four last week, which was, uh, why, uh, when Paul says, especially those of the circumcision, what does he mean? And we talked about that. And then in question five, well, let's do this. Somebody, uh, read Titus chapter one, verses 10, 11, and 12. For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. One of themselves, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars and evil beasts, lazy gluttons. They must be Democrats. Uh, question five, which I think is, uh, there's a couple of good, really good things in this second verse. What do you think the term must be silenced means? Now, to give you a, a, a cross-reference, when Nicodemus went, went to see the Lord in the middle of the night, and they have their conversation, the Lord says to, said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Same word. You must be born again. And in this context, uh, it says, who must be silenced. So this is not a suggestion. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about, is Paul just telling them to, I guess, without, uh, for lack of a better way to say it, telling them just to shut up or you go ahead and make sure that they don't do what they're doing. I think this is what we were talking about last night at the Macaulay's, hey? Yeah, I was just... <laughs> we were talking about Miles Stanford and, and some of his papers, you know, written to specific men and uh, about their doctrine and how he would go about that. And and we were talking earlier in the afternoon about shooting coyotes, and that they just came together in that conversation. <laughs> Because, because you've got to, you've got to get rid of the, the predators. You have to. They're, they're out to kill the flock. Sure. So, now, be careful with that. <laughs> Tying that analogy to Sure. Well, we've, we've, we've got a new committee. <laughs> we've got a new committee we appointed around here called the Assassin Committee and we're <laughs> in charge of it. Point to it and we'll get, we'll get it. Yeah. <laughs> See, no but but I think it's a I think it's a serious issue, and and you know one of the problems we have as believers is that well who's qualified to say that who's qualified to go to somebody and say you have to be quiet now you can't teach what you're teaching or you can't uh, promote what you're promoting you can't whisper what you're whispering behind the backs of everybody you just can't do it. Um, cause it, it's pretty aggressive. The interesting thing about most of Miles Stanford's, uh, polemic papers is that, like most writers, he had a, 
he had a method that he used. And the first method, the first part of the letter he wrote, people would say, would compliment them in some manner. And then he would address the issue and try to state their issue as clearly as possible. And then he would go to God's word and say, your issue is a problem because God's word says this. It does not say what you say it, say it says. Okay. Now, I think one of the fears you have, and one of the fears I have, uh, and I think Roger has the same fear, is that it isn't so much, well, we might be wrong doctrinally in confronting somebody. The issue is, is are we going to upset them? Are we going to make them angry, hurt their feelings? You know, it's all about feelings and uh, that kind of thing. So it gets to be uh, a fine line, but it has to be done. I mean, Miles Stanford... That was always his attitude, because I asked him a lot of times about it. I said, how do you write these polemic papers where you just, you know, take somebody right down to the, you know. He he told, you know, he told me, he said, I get in a room in my office by myself and I close the door. And he said, I'm so aware that I might harm this person that if you came in and surprised me, I'd probably cry. Imagine Miles Stanford saying something like that. But he said, it's got to be done. <laughs> that was his, it's got to be done. And I'm your guy. <laughs> he would, he would write these things, but, and if you look at them objectively, they're very helpful because they spell out the issue and it's not emotional, it's doctrinal. So, um. Mike also, I think. You, get, you have to look at the flip side. If you don't take care of it, what is the damage? Mm-hmm. I think, you know, our feelings and worrying about that, you have to put it in perspective. If the rebellious, empty talkers, deceivers continue without being addressed, it, uh, it harms the body. And so you have to, at least when I, you ever have to, you have to weigh that, that, yeah. Yeah, it may have, it may be a tough, it may be hard, it may be, they may be offended, they choose to be offended. Yeah. And, and, but you have to put it in perspective that, you know, if you don't do it, you're going to harm the body. So, and, and, and it, you know, also it's looking at the Greek, it's present active indicative. You continually do it. You, you yeah. do it. And, and it's a command. You must. Yeah. So, I mean, it, again, what you, yeah, you don't want to hurt their feelings, but you have to look at the other side. So let's see how good your your observations are. Is there anything like that finding its way through Christian circles today? That if somebody showed up here and said, oh, this is wonderful doctrine, and it isn't. Can you think of anything that, uh, or do you have the courage to mention anything? <laughs> that's going on today in contemporary because there's always something we've been through the prayer of Jabez uh, spiritual formation um, the easy ones are charismatic movements legalism uh, yeah, I mean you know not only the the popular book types 
mm-hmm. the prayer of Jabez, the purpose driven, purpose driven life mm-hmm. and, and all that. But it's, you know, it's covenant theology. It's legalism. It's all those things. Those are every bit as much as the popular book titled ones. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know, you know, if, if are we uh, in a position to put out a book list of you can't read these things or you shouldn't read these things? I mean, the, the, I think the biggest issue, and I think you're right, Courtney, the biggest issue is in Reformed theology. There's no bigger issue in terms of how it affects so many people, you know, and uh, either through ignorance or or no one's ever taught them the truth, so they're ignorant about grace, or they do know what they're doing and uh, they think it's the right way. And we 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 had a guy here one time. <laughs> Fifteen years ago was a hyper dispensationalist and he would pass out little tracks in the parking lot and stuff like that. And we had to go t- tell him, you know, you can't do that. We're glad to have you fellowship with us, but you know, your ultra dispensational viewpoint, you have to, you can't, you can't promote that viewpoint because it's not biblical. Well, of course he, he was sincere guy. He said, well, you know, I believe what I believe and that's, you know, I like your church, but, and I will be quiet because you told me to, but, uh, I'm not going to change my doctrine. Well, I, I think probably the hardest is what we talk about is covenant legalism and all that. I, I think there are definitely believers, but it, it, there's no growth. Catholicism, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's, I, I think that's almost hardest. I know some of brother-in-laws and, and missionaries. Some of the hardest is to is to break Catholicism and point them to a personal relationship with Christ. Sure, it's the knockoffs that are the, you know that are the hardest. I think you know if it's a Muslim or a Hindu or whatever, okay. But it's it's the one who and again I think I, I think there we have this discussion millions and millions of people who are covenant and Baptists who are very legal. They're believers. They just right. don't grow because they're. They don't know the identification. Right. Terms. But, I, and I think that's the hardest thing rather than a, a guy who's, you know, like I said, a Muslim there or something like oh, that. Sure. It's just sure. think differences. It's when it's a close, that's the one that it seems the and hardest. And that's always the one that's the most harmful. And you know, I was thinking here too, it, there's a difference between uh, a fellow believer who is caught up in a false doctrine. And, and someone who is turning around and, and teaching it and espousing it. And, and I was reminded of, I've been in the, the other James class, but I've been listening in and I know you, you talked about, uh, uh, the chosen, right? And we've got friends who are really into that, but they're not espousing it. They're just expressing their interest in it. So with them, there's a certain gentleness that like, okay, you know, we just have a conversation about it. But, but when you turn around and start teaching it, then, then it reminds me of, of what we looked at in the James class, you know, uh, James 3, uh, let not many of you become teachers, uh, knowing that as such we incur a stricter judgment. And I think that ties into what we're saying here. If you're going to teach this stuff, um, then, then you're in, in a position to be, to be judged sure. and, and reviewed sure. when it's. That's a great point. Here. JD. Um, there's a couple of things that came to me <laughs> around silencing. And the first thing is, is that when we do silence someone and what we're asking them to do is to stop 
saying what they're saying. We're doing it on the authority of God's word, not the authority of ourselves. Mm-hmm. So we submit to an authority and vis-a-vis, you know, we have to call that out. The other thing is, is that I was reading, I was looking at that word silenced, and in Second Peter um, 3.15 it says, For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorant of foolish, ignorance of foolish men. Mm-hmm. But this doesn't, this is ignorance versus, I mean, it could be tied into false teaching, obviously. Um, but they, they're more knowingly doing what they're doing, less ignorantly. But there is a character of the one who is correcting and silencing mm-hmm. that they do the will of God as well as submit to the authority of God themselves. And yeah. so it's not a power trip. Yeah. Um, and it can be easily turn into that. Who, you know, you say this, I say this, and then it gets into a church split. You know, those sure. are, those are very common scenarios, but, um, the closer we are to the authority of God's word, the better we can shed light on darkness, right? We can elevate what the truth of God's word says versus the worldly perspective sure. or the, the confused perspective on. Yeah. And, and I think that really, uh, when you investigate a circumstance like that, most of the time you find that the person propagating uh, something that isn't that's just a bump off really isn't a student of God's word that's they've heard it someplace or they have uh, uh, sounded good to them they are mostly uh, engaged and so they oh this is this is really cool you know well you know that that's uh, uh, if you if you spent the last 35 years at Holly Hills, if you've never learned anything, you learned, you better go to the Bible and check. Yeah. You better be a Berean. You better get some sorts, enough biblical education so that you can find things and you can rightly divide the word of truth. And so that's. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think that um, with the overseer role that we're talking yeah. about here, there's a wisdom about how to go about that stuff. Yeah, right? uh, the silencing has a, a character of maturity associated with it in the body that, you know, these folks have an axe to grind. How mm-hmm. do we deal with those kinds of folks? Mm-hmm. Um, well, we do. We, we offer to go through the scripture with them for the correction based on his authority. Yeah. Uh, does that always work? No, but then you no. have other, no. you know, other authoritative scripture that sure. comes to play in those roles. So, yeah. But yeah, this is a yeah, this is an, an authority issue, and it's biblical, and it has to well, be done. Well, the, you know, uh, that's what I was going to bring up too. You know, we're myopic in verses twelve, ten through twelve. Go back to what we what he just went through for for elders. Sure, you know, there you go. not self willed, not quick tempered, not addiction, sure. not fight, not for be hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, about self controlled. Holding fast to the faithful word, which is in accordance with teaching, so that he will be able to both exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. Yeah, there you go. I mean, he just said it, laid it out. Sure. Now he's saying, do it. Yeah. Yeah, and you, and I'm, on Wednesday night, we're studying, uh, 1st Thessalonians, and boy, do they parallel with here. This last week, we studied about, uh, uh, Paul exo- exhorts the, um, Thessalonians to live a certain way. And, uh, you, you, when you first read it, you think, really? You know what the way, you know what, 
You know how I and you demonstrate your love to the brothers? It's economics. Number one, you live a peaceful life. Number two, you stay out of other people's business. And number three, you work. How about those three? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm looking at that and thinking, oh, got to go to work. Better get a job. <laughs> you know, why? Because it puts me in a position to help somebody else down the road. So, and it fits. And we went back to the first, you know, verse 7, 8, and 9 of the character well, yeah, that may, they go together and they make a lot of sense. So, we're not moving very fast. A couple, a couple other things I thought you'd find interesting. This word, uh, uh, epistomazio, originally means to put something into the mouth. Uh, it's a bit in a uh, horse's mouth. The noun form is used to stop of a water pipe. We could have done that. Hopefully that happened yesterday. The verb metaphorically means to reduce to silence. Uh, Vincent says, whom it is necessary to, to silence. So that comes from we. So, how do I say this? And, and you have to get opinion out of it. And that's hard to do sometimes, you know. You know, okay. Mike. Yeah. One one thing that's odd is the reformers think we're nuts. <laughs> no, that's true. They do. And that, and that's the kind of the irony of it is, and and we aren't nuts, but yeah. they're thinking they need to get to us to try to save us from ourselves. You know. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> so. Uh, uh, that, that'd be a rabbit trail. I'm not going there. Thank you. No. Uh, so question six is, what's the motive of the false teachers? According to the verse, why do they do what they do? And, uh, they're always, how do I say this? The motive is, uh, personal gain. Now, so I, when I saw this, I got to thinking about, uh, I remember back, uh, when Vern was first here and we were, uh, uh, oh, how do I say this? There were some guys that were floating around here and, and their whole job, the whole reason they were here was to get enough education so that they could get a job in a church someplace. And I always thought, do you serve the Lord because you need a job? And are you going to go to a church that pays better than this one over here? And, you know, how do you make your decision? If you, if, if you decide in your heart that you want to serve the Lord, do you get, do you go job hunting? Um, and if you do, what are you looking for? Would not the Lord bring you to the place where he wanted you to be and you would know it and they would know it and uh, I can remember most of you remember Art Lothar Art Art was a really interesting guy and uh, you know a guy sometimes that 
you have to push back with him because he was opinionated. But I remember we were having a, a meeting about when we had, we had 25 or 30 candidates of which there was only one that was worth investigating and it was Vern. So then that the conversation evolved to, well, can we afford him? And Art, to his credit, said, the guy that the Lord brings here isn't going to be worried about the salary. I thought, I hope you're right, Art. Because <laughs> in those days, we didn't have any money at all. So, uh, so the motivation, according to the verse, uh, is, that, is that mostly Jews... Um, and they 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 uh, were involved in preaching and teaching for dishonest gain, probably by teaching falsehood under the guise of truth accord, accordingly. Because, and you see that today all over Christendom. You know, I mean, you, again, one of my favorite subjects is go look at the the preachers on television. So they so they got a half an hour. They spend two or three or four minutes talking about doctrine, and the rest of the time they're hawking something, which is they're either selling something or inviting you to support them. You know, the one guy, Jimmy Swaggart, he has a, a sell-a-thon every month. He raises millions of dollars every month, and it goes on and on. He's got as a channel, and, you know, they're all about the money, and that's a tip-off, at least in my mind, that they probably aren't somebody you ought to be listening to. <laughs> there, was a, there was a guy not not too long ago, like a year ago, and I saw, saw a headline, some southern preacher, and he was very upset that his congregation wasn't going to fund him for the Gulfstream Gulf 5. Oh, yeah, plane, that was, uh, what's that because guy's name? Gulfstream 2 was not <laughs> adequate enough for him to yeah. do his... Ministry. Yeah, he had ministry around the other side of the globe, and he yeah. needed a plane to he needed, get him there. Needed the Gulf Stream, <laughs> and he needed an upgraded one. So yeah, that was. Uh... I, I think the funniest when I was a kid. This is way before I was a believer. There was a guy in Chicago that was the, one of the first television preachers, and he was on the radio and television, and he he wore a white suit with a with a white vest, and he was really groomed. And his his deal was, don't send me any of that hard money. Just send me the folding kind. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm a, a little I'm a little young youngster, and I'm listening to this guy. And I'm thinking, I don't think I <laughs> this guy doesn't sound legitimate to me. <laughs> um. Let's see. When a teacher or a preacher looks on his teaching or preaching as a career designed of, uh, for personal advancement and personal profit and gain, uh, he's in a perilous condition. And uh, Barclay uh, wrote that. I thought that was really good because you can tell, you can tell you're, you, especially with seminary graduates, they're looking for a job. That's really what they're doing. And uh, it's got to, not that it doesn't have to be something that they can support their family on, but why do you do that, you know? Okay, so the next issue, oh, great, i got 10 minutes. The next issue is the verse, the 
verse um, 11 says, who must be silenced because they're upsetting whole families. Let's talk about that word upsetting. Uh, one of the guys that I read said that, well, the word upsetting is, isn't really strong enough to dis- to describe the, the Greek word that's here. It could mean to overturn, overthrow, destroy. And n- notice how the, he puts it, that they're trying to destroy whole households. Whole households. Um, they're to, ber- to pervert whole families, according to, uh, according to Wiest. Think that's what they're after? Courtney, you mentioned, uh, um, MacArthur's graduates from, what's the name of his seminary? Um, Masters. Masters Seminary. They must have a course in that seminary where they teach their guys, you're right and don't let anybody tell you you're wrong. Because, uh, especially in California, I have several friends out there that sort of circle around. One of them is in a church where the two guys that are uh, running the place are uh, from Master Seminary. And, you know, they have that old, old Christian disease, which is, they'll confuse me with the facts I've already made up my mind. And they will not listen. And he calls them up, and he's he's a fairly astute uh uh, guys, uh, scripturally, and he he'll get together at lunch with him, and and have a Bible study with all of his notes and stuff, and they qu- quietly sit there and listen to him, and then they'll just say something to him like, "Well, you're totally wrong," and that's it. And they and what they preach on on Sunday is is reform. And uh, uh, this guy's kind of a my friend is. One of those guys that doesn't sit quietly, it really upsets him and he gets all worked up about it. But I think you find, uh, that, that, that idea of, I know what I'm talking about, permeates the legalist. The problem with, I mean, if you just cursorily study, uh, Calvinism, any reform theology, there's no hope there. There's no assurance. You know, how do you know that you're saved? Only if you persevere to the end and do all these wonderful works and, and that kind of thing. So it makes it really difficult, uh, to talk. Yet on the other side of that coin and, uh, uh, you know, you live your life and you bounce off of people and you have somebody comes in your life and they're grace based. And it's like the antennas go up and you, you know, like you did with the, the people in uh, Thailand. Bang. There they are. And uh, I think those people, every one of those kinds of people that are grace based. You want to get to know them and hang out with them for the rest of their life and your life. Because there aren't many of them. You agree with that? Yeah. What do you think? Wise. So, I'm going to hold my tongue for a minute. But, um, 
I mean, we're talking about reformed and in, in, in different uh, systems that are opposed to grace in the way that we understand it. But um, I think this whole like household and family and upsetting families was a situation. Just kind of looking at parallel passages, uh, you know, these these folks were going around house to house, mm-hmm. and and looking at First Peter five thirteen. Sometimes they also learn to be idle as they go around from house to house, and not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies talking about things not proper to mention. And it goes on to talk about getting married and give them no occasion, give the enemy. I mean, this he saw this as an enemy, and eventually in fifteen, um, for they have already turned aside to follow Satan. So while we're talking about, I don't put reformers in the category of following Satan by any stretch, but. I was just curious how we would elevate this to that level of false teaching where like, what does that look like for us today where Satan is put at the center and there are uh, teachers as it, as it says in scripture that are teaching falsely about like, how do they get, obviously we're not, we're not having satanic, you know, teachers coming to our houses, but how does that, that following Satan and propagating this through families how is that happening for us today, and how does the overseer protect that level of false teaching? Yeah, that's that's a great question because you're not at their house when the doorbell rings or, you know, the JWs come around, and uh, I think they're satanic. There's no. I agree. You know, and they, uh, you know, have a certain way of doing things that they. It's like they're practiced in the, their their approach. And the same thing when you get, you know, two young guys who come and knock on your door and they're, they're Mormons and they're practice, you know, and they'll, they'll agree with you about anything. So you, uh, I don't think it's our job to engage those people. Um, but I do, you know, Paul says to shun people like that. What's that? You silence by shutting the door. Yeah, well, sometimes I don't answer the door because I haven't got time to mess with it. <laughs> yeah, sometimes no, I'm feeling spunky, so out, out we'll go. Well, we think about someone coming to the door and prop- propagating the conversation around Satan himself, but Satan is a masquerade as an angel of light. Right. So this satanic false teaching, yeah, it, I don't, you know, I wouldn't put warm theology in that category personally, but. <clears throat> I mean, it's definitely harmful to the gospel. And it's, and it's it is. It is. It's wrong. Yeah. Uh, and it needs to be corrected. But I think in these cases, you have, you know, false teaching can get to the point where they're promoting an angel that's mask, masquerading, you know, as an angel of light. But he, he, it's, in fact, Satan. And what is the core of Satan? I will. And so the, the teaching centers around what are you, you know, it's all about you. And uh, we've got to get you back to the center of your worship because you are entitled to this. You you deserve these things. And it takes away from the authority of God's word and puts the authority back in your camp. And by by doing that it upsets entire families. Because you've got now you've got a battle of authority. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Just a thought. I don't know. No, that's a good thought. And I, I think that uh um, Miles mentioned uh, the chosen. There's the chosen is very subtle. It presents a Christ 
that is not the one of the Bible. And it's a warm, fuzzy emotion. And it's, they try to humanize him to the point that, and, and the people that are around him, you know, well, okay, you can enjoy it as a, if you want to enjoy it as a, some series that you're watching. Um, but at the same time, that will have an influence, you know, and to tell somebody, in my position to tell somebody, well, you shouldn't really watch it. Uh, today's climate, like the what I'm going to say it, the woke agenda is the most organized satanic. I agree. Today. I agree. I totally agree. And now put yourself as an overseer in a situation where you've got neighbors and coworkers and the like putting that agenda at the center of the family. And then you have families that are, I mean, that's, that's where false teaching at its epicenter. Then they come over to your house. Yeah. 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 I know what you're saying. Uh, You know, you know, back to that um, first Thessalonian things about how to love your neighbor. I think if, if I live a quiet life, which means I'm not, you know, screaming and yelling about anything, and I just live as a believer, at rest, walking by faith. If I stay out of your business, and I, uh, you know, I work, no matter what it is, if those three things, and I, I live day after day like that. The one thing that I project to my neighbors is, is that I'm, I'm. A person of rest. And if there's anything that wokeness projects, it's tumult. Angst, anxiety. You know? If, if there's anything it does, it's, it's, it's just angst all the time. I've got a bit of a soapbox here. Um, the thing about, the thing about, what, the Lord wants us to understand something very important about our identity. So identity is core to the Lord. And mm-hmm. it starts with substitution on the cross for salvation. Um, someone else has to pay. I, I have I have to come to a place where I realize I cannot do what needs to be done in order for God to be satisfied with me. Mm-hmm. So there's that identity piece, but then there's the rest of it, the identification truths. What's the one thing that's at the center of this entire world program? Identity. Mm-hmm. It's breaking down identity. And so that breaks families down. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, super mm-hmm. fast, right? And, and the message is the same underneath, right? But it's just got new clothing today. Uh, it had a different kind of clothing in Paul's era, Titus era. Um, but the point is the same. It cracks down the identity of who God says we are as his creation. And it elevates us to the creator position where we make decisions about our own identity and we have the freedom, capability to alter God, God's design, which makes God no longer the creator. So it's just kind of, I mean, I'm just breaking like that. That's the same message that's been going on since Genesis three. New clothes. Yeah. Yeah. Did God say 18, you know, and following the, the, the whole, the whole Genesis temptation was, you're not who God who God told you you were. That's right. 
You're more important than that. And there's some stuff that he has held back from you. And if you, if you, uh, go against him, you'll be enlightened. You know, it's all about me. That's the secret. And this temptation is the same. He hasn't changed his game plan for 7,000 years. It's the same game plan. And it's the sin nature is a member of that team. It's constantly telling you it is about you. That's a really good point. You know, it's it's a it's always the angle of getting God off His throne. That's right, exactly right. And so, oh gee, I just noticed the time. Okay, we're gonna have to. The singers are gonna have to go sing. <laughs> so let's. Let's close. Thanks, everybody. Father, how we thank you again for your word and the ability and the opportunity to study it. We ask that you would protect each one of us, not only individually but corporately, from the intrusion of false doctrine, uh, that we would all grow in the knowledge and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the truth. And we thank you. We pray in his name. Amen.